0: try not to be biased, but I have my doubts about hiring Stevie. His placement counselor assured me that he would be a good, reliable busboy, but I never had a mentally handicapped employee, and I just wasn't sure I wanted one. I wasn't sure how my customers would react to Stevie. He was short, a little dumpy, with his smooth facial features and the thick tongued speech of Down syndrome. I wasn't worried about most of my trucker customers, because the, cust- because the truckers don't generally care who buses the tables as long as the meatloaf platter is good and the pies are homemade. The four-wheeler drivers are, are the ones that were concerned me, the mouthy collie c- kids traveling to school, the yuppie snobs who secretly polished their silverware with napkins for fear of catching some dreaded truck stop germ those pairs of white-shirted businessmen on expense accounts who think every truck stop waitress needs to be flirted with. I knew those people would be uncomfortable around Stevie, so I closely watched him for the first few weeks. I shouldn't have worried. After the first week, Stevie had my staff staff wrapped around his stubby little finger, and within a month, the the truck regulars had adopted him as their official truck stop mascot. After that, I really didn't care what the rest of the customers thought of him. He was like a 21-year-old in blue jeans and Nikes, eager to laugh and eager to please, but fierce in his attention to his duties. Every salt, salt and pepper shaker was exactly in its place. Not a breadcrumb or a coffee spill was visible when Stevie got done with the table. Our only problem was persuading him to wait to clean a table until after the customers were finished. He would hover in the background, shifting his weight from one foot to the other, scanning the dining room table until a table was empty. Then he would scurry to the empty table and carefully bust dishes and glasses onto a cart and meticulously wipe the table up with the practiced flourish of his rag. And if he thought a customer was watching, his brow would pucker with added concentration. He took pride in doing his job exactly right, and you had to love how hard he tried to please each and every person he met Over time, we learned that he had lived with his mother, a widow who was disabled after repeated surgeries for cancer. They lived on social security benefits and public housing two miles from the truck stop. The social worker who stopped to check on them every so often admitted they had fallen between the cracks. Money was tight and... What I paid him probably was the difference between them able to live together or Stevie being sent to a group home. That's why the restaurant was extra gloomy that morning in late August, the first morning in three weeks that Stevie missed work. He was at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester getting a new valve or something put into his heart. His social worker said that people with Down syndrome had heart, often had heart problems at an early age and so this wasn't unexpected. There was a good chance he would come through surgery in good shape and be back at work in a few months. A ripple of excitement ran through the staff later that morning when the word came he was out of surgery and in recovery and doing fine. Franny, my head waitress, let out a war hoop and did a little dance in the aisle when she heard the good news. Bell ringer, one of our regular trucker customers, stared at the side of a 50-year-old grandmother doing a little victory shimmy beside his table. <laughs> Franny blushed, smoothed her apron and shot Ringer a withering look. He grinned. Okay, Franny, what was that all about, he asked. We just got word that Stevie is out of surgery and he's, he's going to be okay. I was wondering where he is. I had a new joke to tell him. What was the surgery about? Franny quickly told Bellringer and the two other drivers sitting in the booth about Stevie's surgery, then sighed, Yeah, I'm glad he's going to be okay, but I don't know how him and his mom are going to handle all the bills. From what I hear, they're barely getting by as it is. Bellringer nodded thoughtfully, and Franny hurried off to wait on the rest of her tables. Since I hadn't had time to round up a busboy to replace Stevie and and really didn't want to replace him, the girls were busy bussing their own tables that day until we decided what to do. And after the morning rush, Franny walked into my office and she had a couple of, of paper napkins in her hand and a funny look on her face. What's up? I asked. I didn't get to the table where Bell and his friends were sitting to clear off after they left, and Pony Pete and Tony Tipper were sitting there when I got back to clean it off, and she, added, she said this was folded and tucked under a coffee cup. She handed me a napkin, and three $20 bills fell on my desk when I opened it, and on the outside, in big bold letters, was scrawled something for Stevie. Tony Pete asked me what this was all about, so I told him about Stevie and his mom and about everything. And, and Pete looked at Tony, and Tony looked at Pete, and they ended up giving me this. And she handed me another paper napkin that said something for Stevie scrawled on the outside, and two $50 bills were tucked within its folds. Franny looked at me with wet, shining eyes and shook her head and said simply, Truckers. That was three months ago today, and today is Thanksgiving, the first day Stevie is supposed to be back at work. His replacement worker said he's been counting the days until a doctor said he could work, and it didn't matter to him at all that it was a holiday. In fact, he had called ten times this past week to make sure he, that we knew he was coming, fearful that we had forgotten him or that his job was in jeopardy. I arranged to have his mother bring him to work and met them in the parking lot and, and then, invi- inv- then invited them both to celebrate this day back. Stevie was thinner and paler and couldn't stop grinning as he pushed through the doors and headed for the back room where his apron and busing cart were waiting. Hold up, hold up, Stevie. Not so fast, I said, took him and his mother by their arms. Work and wait for a minute. To celebrate you coming back, breakfast for you and your mother is on me. And I led them toward a large corner booth at the rear of the room, and I could hear the rest of the staff falling behind me as we marched together through the dining room. Glancing over my shoulder, I saw booth after booth of grinning truckers empty and joined the procession. We stopped in front of a big table, and its surface was covered with coffee cups and saucers and dinner plates, and all sitting slightly crooked and on dozens of folded napkins. The first thing I need, you need to have, the first thing you have to do, Stevie, is clean up the mess. I said. I, I tried to sound stern. And Stevie looked at me and then at his mother, and then pulled out one of the napkins, and it said something for Stevie, printed on the outside. As he picked it up, two large bills fell on the table. Stevie stared at the money and then at all the napkins peeking from beneath the tableware, each with his name printed on it or scrawled on it. And I turned to his mother and said, there's more than $10,000 in cash on this table, all from truckers and trucking companies that have heard about your problem. Happy Thanksgiving." Well, it got real noisy about that time with everybody ho- hoop- hooping and hollering, and there were a few, few tears as well, but, it, but you know what's funny? Well, everybody else was sh- busy shaking hands and hugging each other. Stevie, with a big, big smile on his face, was busy cleaning up, cl- clearing up all the cups and the dishes from the table. Ah, best worker I ever hired. You see, generosity can never be divorced from some of those deep, heartfelt emotions. Of course, facts and figures are important, but they never make you generous. Logical sense is, is 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 essential. Common sense is essential, but they never make you generous. We are moved within to have compassion on others. And it is God who stirs us deep within to have compassion how all of us could use a good, healthy dose of generosity. And today I want to show you from the scriptures and using the lives of the children of Israel, some very practical steps, how all of us could become more generous. We uh, greet all of you in the name of Christ this morning. Uh, We welcome you to what I would call the the meat and potatoes part of our worship. Um, And this morning I want to take all of you back uh, to in time to the children of Israel. They lived in Egypt, and they were under a ruler who ultimately didn't know who Joseph was, and he brutally of course enslaved them, he brutally mistreated them, and they cried out to God, God heard their cry, and God delivered them, called the Exodus. And as they uh, breathed their first air of freedom, they were grateful, but uh, It didn't make them generous. And then they traveled along the Red Sea, down between the Red Sea and the wilderness. And uh, it wasn't long after that that the Egyptians began to pursue them and they were boxed in, couldn't get away. And again God intervened and they went through the Red Sea and God closed up the Red Sea upon the Egyptians. And as they stood on the other shore, watching the bodies of the Egyptian soldiers floating in the sea, they felt safe, but it didn't make them generous. When they got to Mount Sinai, God took his finger and wrote in tables of stone, the Torah, or what is called, or the law, and he gave the Israelites instruction how they should live obediently but even with instruction it didn't make them generous you see god wanted a people who were generous who knew how to give freely a people who knew how to hold who who knew how to hold the things that god had given them loosely and uh, a people who were stirred deeply within but you wouldn't believe what God did. He told Moses to bring the people together corporately, and he says, uh, I have a project for them, something that involves some mutual cooperation. And I, I don't proclaim to understand all the ways of God, but how could a construction project produce generosity? how would a a group of wanderers who were experiencing their first fling with real liberty ever become generous? I mean, there were over 2 million people who held the patent on WIFM. It's a new word. You see, uh, up to this point, All the children of Israel had ever done was received. They had been delivered by God from Egypt. They were given safety by God at the Red Sea. There was a cloud by day that would give them shade. There was fire by night that would give them light and protection. And even more than that, when they left Egypt, they spoiled it. They went from household to household uh, God gave them the, them favor in the sight of the Egyptians. They went from household to household, and they literally took everything. I mean, they just spoiled the, all the valuables, their gold, their silver, their cattle. So at this point in life, they, all the, the, the children of Israel had done was receive, 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 and none of us ever become generous by receiving the way we become generous is by learning how to give so god said i god says i want them to build me a sanctuary called in the scriptures a tabernacle you see when the focus is taken off ourselves and it is placed upon god and we personally become involved in the pro- the project or the building program Something bigger than ourselves, our heart becomes stirred. And I'm going to show you how this is going to work out. Exodus 25, verse 1, there's four ways that God is going to stir the hearts of the Israelites. Now this takes place at Mount Sinai. Moses is up on the mountain with God, and the people are down below. There's been borders that are set up so that the people don't... Uh, go past the borders, lest they, are, lest they die or are killed. And while Moses is up on the mount, he receives a clear directive from God. That's the first way God stirs our heart, the first step towards generosity. Exodus 25, verse 1, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering. Every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, yea, shall take my offering. Ye shall take my offering. Look at that. This, this is the first. Everything up to this point has been given. Uh, they've been given everything on a silver platter, so as to speak. I mean, they've been the recipients of one miracle after another. They, they've been given food, water, uh, direction. So God tells them, That I'm going, I want you to raise an offering from the children, a contribution to me, and and I want you. It's worth noting that God could have just as easy provided all these things Himself. You see, the reason He asked for an offering is not because He needed it; it's because they needed to give it. The other thing I want you to note is that this offering is all-inclusive. He says every man, but it's talking about every individual. We're going to see that it includes men and women. Um, And secondly, or thirdly, it's going to be given freely. He doesn't, God does not want anything that is given reluctantly or begrudgingly. He really wants this to be a gift from the heart. Now, there's a second way that he stirs their heart, and that is it involves specific gifts. Look at verse 3. And this is the offering which you shall take of them, gold, silver, and brass, and blue, the purple, and scarlet, and fine linen, and goat's hair, and ram's skin dyed red, and badger's skins, and shed wood, Oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and, and for s- sweet incense. Onyx stone, and stones to be set in the ephod, and in the breastplate. And notice these words, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. How in the world are these wanderers going to come up with a bucket list like that? Well, if you recall, when they spoiled Egypt, their final ripoff, God gave them favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and they they went into their neighbors, they took necklaces, bracelets, earrings, nose rings, uh, gold and silver, precious stones. I mean, can you imagine the loot that some of these people walked off with? I mean, one trip to the neighbors, you were set for life. Can you imagine the plans that some of these individuals must have had as they, as they carried back this gold and silver? I, I can imagine them thinking, man, when we get to Canaan, I'm setting up a business. I can, buy, I can buy, I can trade, I've got money to do it, I'm set. But God changes their plans. God changes their heart, and with it, their plans are changed. There's a third way that God stirs their heart. It's in verse 8. He gives them a stated objective. Let them make me a sanctuary. You see, up to this point, do you realize all their worship took place outdoors? Can you imagine having an outdoor service every weekend? I mean, they would build an altar out on the hillside out of rocks, and they would offer their sacrifices, and the smoke would ascend to heaven, and God would accept that. But it was all outdoors. Now that's going to change. Verse 9. Notice what it says, According to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle, and and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. God is saying, I want you to make it exactly according to the pattern that I've placed in front of you. Why is that so important? Because I want all of you to understand that God is into details. He is not interested in something that is quick and cheap. He is not interested in anything that is just slopped together uh, or something that carries a tag made in China. Um, it's, it's to be portable. It's, uh, it, it's, and it was something to actually use for centuries. That's how durable this was. Now in chapters 25 through 31, Moses gives... God gives Moses more details how this is supposed to be, and Moses is taking notes. Let's, let's look at verse, uh, chapter 31. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, See, I have called by, by name Bezaleel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, and the tribe of Judah. Uh, some of you have been in the church for years and years, and I'm guessing many of you probably have never heard a message or even heard the name Bezaleel. But, uh, but notice what God says of him. He says in verse 3 I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and knowledge in all manner of workmanship, to devise cunning works, to work in gold and in silver and in brass, and in cutting of stones to set them up, and in carving of timber to work all manner of workmanship. Bezalel is a craftsman. He is someone whom God has given amazing knowledge and wisdom how to do craftsmanship. Can you imagine what this this individual could have done, what he could have made? Um, He's a blue-collar worker. He's someone who knows how to work with his hands, and he knows how to cover wood with gold and silver. Um, he's, strict, he's an artist, and God kind of makes him the project foreman. He's skilled in knowledge and design, and, and yeah, he just... But notice verse 6, this isn't a one-man show. Notice verse 6, And I, behold, have given him, given with him Haliab the son of of a man whose name I can't pronounce, of the tribe of Dan, in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted, I have put wisdom that they make all that I have commanded of thee. The tabernacle of the congregation, and the ark of the covenant, and the mercy seat that is thereupon, and all the furniture of the tabernacle, and the table and his furniture, and the pure candlestick with all his furniture, and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all his furniture, and the laver and his foot, and the clothes of service, and the holy garments garments to his sons, to minister in the priest's office, the anointing oil and the sweet incense of the holy place, according to all I have commanded shall they do. So God gives these two individuals with these unique gifts, who are knowledgeable about building furniture in this tabernacle. You know, I've had to reassess my view of church buildings or church houses. Um, and, And all of you know that we live in a world of excess. But when something is truly done for the glory of God, we had better learn how to hold our tongue. Because God deserves our best. Um, And you can save your tongue for the things that are done for the glory of man. But God really does. He deserves. You'll notice in this, God, he requires the best for this. Now let me give you the fourth way that God stirred their hearts. Verse 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak thou unto the children of Israel, verily, my sabbath ye shall keep, for it is a sign between you, between me and you, throughout your generations, that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. And ye shall keep the sabbath thereof, for it is holy unto you, and everyone that defileth it, it shall surely be put to death, for whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among the people. Six days may may work be done, but in in the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord, whosoever doeth any work in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Wherefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. So the fourth way God stirred their hearts was to give them a requirement to rest, pray, and reflect. Now, I want you to remember what we've just read, and I want you to see how Moses delivers this to the people. Chapter 35, verse 1. When Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said unto them, These are the words which the Lord hath commanded that ye should do them. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh there, sh- there shall be to you a ho- an holy day, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whosoever doeth work therein shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire throughout your habit- habitations upon the Sabbath day. So Moses delivers these four objectives and he takes the fourth objective that God gives to him and makes it first. I mean, he, he skips all the other directives, uh, a clear directive, a, 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 a specific gifts, and the stated, stated objective, and he goes straight to the fourth one, and he makes that gives that priority. I mean, no cooking, no no heating, no fires for lighting. I mean, when God talks rest, He talks real rest. There is to be an, uh, there is to be a complete focus upon God, uh, upon time for prayer, a time for reflection, and a time for real acknowledgement of what God's God's doing in your life. Moses then takes and mentions second what God mentioned first, verse verse. Uh Verse, uh, verse 4. And Moses spake unto the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded thee. Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord. Whosoever is of a willing heart, let them bring it. An offering of the, of, the, of the Lord gold, silver, and brass. So what Moses mentions third, what God had mentioned Second. Verse 36, he says, and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and ram's skin dyed red, badger skin and shittim wood and oil for the light and spices, spices for the anointing oil, for the sweet incense and onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastplate. And every heart, wise-hearted among you shall come and make all the Lord hath commanded. The tabernacle, his tent, his covering, his tatches, and his boards, his bars, his pillars, and his sockets. So Moses lays it all out, all four objectives, out in front of the people. The four ways that they are to be stirred to generosity. And you wouldn't believe what happens next. They get several motivational speakers to whip everybody up emotionally. No. They have a week of meetings where some preacher jumps truckloads of guilt and they take up an offering every night. No. They form several more committees so to make sure that this is really operational and uh, try to make it a little more economical and to make sure this is really what the people need. Now, verse 20, you wouldn't believe it. And all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. They all left and just went home. To do what? To rest pray, and reflect. You know why most of us are not more generous? Because we live life in the fast lane. And in the fast lane, you don't take time to rest, pray, and reflect. It seems that we work hard so we can have leisure, and in our leisure, we figure out more ways to work hard. Seldom do we pause to reflect how, how great our deliverance has been from God. or How often God has intervened and helped us to escape the enemy. or How gracious He has been in providing us jobs, food, clothes, shelter, and all of you know it is overwhelming the way God has provided for us. You see, it's in those quiet moments with God where we stop and reflect and think about the Stevies of our life. Uh, how my life must be with them, and you know, our heart changes in those moments when we take our focus upon our off of ourselves and upon others. And that extra hundred or, or five hundred dollars that we have, it, it suddenly becomes less important. And we we'll look for that Stevie who needs our napkin. Now the question all of you might have is uh, could God really change your heart and my heart to make us more generous? This morning I'm glad you all asked the question. Let me show you. Exodus 35 verse 21 And they came after they had rested, prayed and reflected. And they came, both men and women, as many as were willing hearted, and brought bracelets and earrings and, and rings and tablets and all the jewels of gold. And every man that offered everything offered an offering of gold unto the Lord. Verse, 20, uh, verse 26 And all the women whose hearts stirred them up in wisdom spun goats' hair. Verse 29. And the children of Israel brought a willing offering unto the Lord, every man and woman whose heart made them willing to bring for all manner of work for which the Lord had commanded them to be made, to be made by the hand of Moses. I mean, there, there's no talk of tithe or 10% here. They, they brought what they had, willingly. Willingly. Chapter 36, verse 1. I'm going to be switching to the New King James Version. And Bezalel and Holy Ab, and every gifted artesian in whom the Lord had put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary, shall do according to all the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Holy Ab, and every gifted artesian in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom and everyone whose heart was stirred to come and do the work and they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary so they continued to him free will offerings every morning 36 verse 4 then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came each from the work he was doing. And they spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord hath commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman do any more work for the work of the sanctuary, for the people were restrained from bringing For the material which they had was sufficient for all the work to be done, indeed too much. Can you imagine that Moses out there waving, saying, stop, stop, this is too much, no more offerings. Because they took time to rest, reflect, and pray. They took time to spend time with God, quality time with God. Can you imagine what it would be like for some Sunday morning, our finance committee get up and say, hey, we are not going to take an offering up this morning. We have so much, we don't know what to do with all of it. You guys just, no offering this morning. Or superintendents get up during a reorganization, saying, "Hey, you know, we had so many volunteers for our Sunday school classes that they're all filled. We're sorry, you just you can't all be teachers." Amen. <laughs> can, can you imagine that? Are you? really generous <coughs> would somebody know that you're generous by simply looking at your checkbook register have you ever given a given till it really hurts I know all this talk about giving is, is premature because what really is needed is a Saturday before Sunday service a time of reflection a time of rest and a time with God alone Let's bow. I would like for you just to to close your eyes and bow your heads this morning. If God has spoken to you this morning about becoming more generous and, and more committed, I'm going to ask you to commit to setting aside extra time with God the next, the next three or four Saturdays, to rest, and to pray, and reflect. In this, in this congregation there's liberty, so there's no coercion. This is only for those who want to do this freely. really are serious about committing themselves, and if if, if this is your desire, I would invite you to stand to your feet, to show that you are really serious about becoming more generous. And please don't stand because the person beside you has stood up. Let's pray. Father, we, we just bow before you today with, with a desire to be changed. And we commit uh, freely to take this time to be, to be quiet before you these next three or four Saturdays to rest and to consider you, to hear you. But most of all, to be stirred and to be changed. To give real consideration to everything that you've entrusted to us. My fathers, this morning, we thank you for the clarity of these scriptures. The life and the breath that you've given to us. Your spirit that you've given to us. and How it continues to shape us. And may you receive the glory for all of this. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.